so I started going through it, and I couldn't get anything out of Romans 8. So we're just going to go through the whole chapter tonight. Uh, but I, I think Romans 8 verse 1, I think really is, is the message that Paul was wanting. If you haven't read Romans, if you haven't just sat down and read Romans, do we have anybody that just likes to read? Anybody, any readers in here? You, you've got the books on the shelf, you've got the apps, and you can just load them up with as many books as you have. Uh, if you just love to sit down, you can just grab Romans. Now, you're going to grab everything else. I know it's in the Bible, but just pick up Romans and just start at Romans chapter 1 and go all the way. It's one of the most phenomenal books in the entire Bible. If I had to pick one out, Romans, uh, the, the, the saving message, what Paul is communicating to the Roman people is just so phenomenal. You, you've got to get a hold of it. Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters. It is my favorite chapter in in the Bible, and if I had to pick a favorite verse, it would probably be one out of here, um, because the whole thing is just so good. But I want to start with verse 1, and um, it says this, there is, therefore, everyone say therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I'm going to read that again. There is therefore, everyone say therefore, therefore. now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, this is a very profound statement that he's making, uh, because condemnation, he's identifying here, is a tool or a weapon that the enemy will use against the believer, because even though there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Uh, how many of you may know, and, and you uh, may have accounted to this at some point in your life, that you felt condemned, but you're in Christ, you're saved. You've gone through the salvation experience, you, you know that you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, but yet there's this condemnation factor. It's not a matter of not being saved, it's a matter of not feeling saved. That's what condemnation is. And so let me define condemnation for you. The definition is the state of being condemned. Very simple. The state of being condemned. But then the word condemn or condemned, past tense, means this. To express an unfavorable judgment upon. To express an unfavorable judgment upon. It also means to pronounce guilty. To pronounce guilty. To pronounce unfit for service. This is condemnation. Condemnation is defined as uh, uh, expressing an unfavorable judgment upon. That's what it means to condemn somebody. To condemn somebody means to pronounce as guilty. To condemn somebody means to pronounce unfit for service. That's what condemnation means. So Paul is saying here, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you cannot have uh, an unfavorable, unfavorable judgment expressed upon you. you. You cannot be pronounced guilty. You cannot be pronounced unfit for service. 
So I want to speak to this fact of condemnation. And when you read Romans chapter 8, you, you realize that he's building off of this one point. He's building off of this one point. Now, I can't read you all of Romans leading up to chapter 8, but there's a very important word here in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Throw it back up there. There is therefore. Everybody once again say therefore. Remember, you, you know our rule. When you see therefore, there's a reason it's therefore. Right? So what is that telling me? That tells me I need to look at all this stuff up here that's building up to this. So let me give you an idea. I'm going to go back a little bit, and, and we, for the sake of time, I'm not going to throw these verses up here. But if you want to write down uh, these verses, this is just kind of highlighting what Paul is hitting on before he gets to Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's stating that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, you get on down to verse 28, Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Then he makes this statement that the only way we, we receive salvation is by faith alone. It's nothing that I did. It's not, no works that I can do or conjure up to get God to light me enough to let me come into his kingdom. Salvation is by faith alone. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says this. I'm just kind of giving you some highlights. Romans 5, verse 6 says that in due time, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 6 tells me that in due time, Christ died for us. And if you skip down down a few more verses to verse 8, Romans 5, verse 8, Paul says this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in due time, Jesus came and died for me. And he came and died for me before I proved that I was going to accept him or that uh, I, I, I even identified that I needed a savior he came and died for me even as I was a sinner. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 18 says this, that through one man's righteous act, that free gift came to all. When Jesus died, he died for everybody. There's nothing that I have to do to get into this special group. He died for the entire world and all I have to do is believe in him. Accept him and make him the Lord of my life. But he says here, through one man's righteous act. Uh, Paul actually makes a statement in that verse. He says, just as through one man all have sinned, through one man all have been made righteous. Okay? Just give you a little biblical teaching. Uh, Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. The first Adam sinned, and we all took on his sin. But then the second Adam made us righteous, and we all became righteous because of him. As long as we have faith in him. So through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all. Then Romans chapter 6, Paul moves over into Romans chapter 6, and he starts talking about this old man, the flesh. And he says in uh, Romans 6 verse 6, he says, the old man was crucified with Christ. The old man, who's that? That's my old former self, who I used to be, the things I used to do, the desires I used to have. That man has now been crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 14. Romans chapter 6 verse 14 says. And sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not rule over you. What's that mean? That sin doesn't make you do things anymore. Sin doesn't have dominion. It shouldn't have charge over you. It shouldn't have, to, shouldn't have control over you. He says in verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you. 
Now he skips over to verse, uh, I'm skipping over to verse 22, Romans chapter 6, verse 22. He says that we have been set free from sin itself. See, Jesus didn't just come to die on the cross to set you free from the result of sinning. He came to set you free from sin itself. I'm not under the bondage and the control of sin any longer. And then he goes into Romans chapter 7, and he starts talking about how this new man is waging war with the old man. You know, and he goes on his, uh, you know, little spiel of, you know, I, I, I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do those things. And then in verse 24, he makes a statement, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body, from this flesh? But he makes this statement in verse 25. He says, uh, uh, I thank God through, Je- through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way I'm going to overcome. That's the only way I'm going to have victory in this life. And then he gets to Romans 8, verse 1. There is, therefore, because of that redemptive plan that I just spilled out for you, all have sinned. Jesus came and took on our sin, died for us. We became righteous. And now, even though I'm still in this fight with the flesh, he says, there is, therefore, now no condemnation. Now, think about it. He's just outlined the most descriptive way possible, the redemption from one culture to another. The changing from an old kingdom, a dark kingdom, to the new kingdom, the light. He explains over in Colossians chapter 1 that because of Jesus Christ, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And then, on top of all that, he still has to remind us that there's no condemnation. I mean, you would think in chapter 3, in chapter 4, in chapter 5, in chapter 6, in chapter 7, that we would get that. But yet, he still is coming behind and saying, but you're still going to struggle with this idea of condemnation. And let me show you why. In Revelation, you're going to keep your finger in Romans because we're staying there, Romans chapter 8. But over in Revelations chapter 12, if you have one of these cool little bookmarks that's attached to your Bible, you can throw one of those in there like I can. Revelations chapter 12. I want to introduce you to somebody. You're probably already familiar with him. Romans chapter 12. Or I'm sorry, Revelations chapter 12. Revelations chapter 12, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. The devil, Satan, deceives the whole world. He's a deceiver. That means he tricks. He's a con artist. He tries to trick you into thinking something that isn't true. He's a deceiver. That's how he operates. It says that he deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Look what verse 10 says. 
Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For, look, what, look at how they explain the deceiver, the, de- the devil, Satan. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. Basically, in essence, he's saying no matter how big and bad this devil seems to be, uh, we have the power and the glory of God and his kingdom. Amen. But he says here that uh, he is the accuser of the brethren. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. What's that? He's trying to bring up things about you to make you feel and think about yourself in one way that's not true. He's trying to deceive Paul's identifying here after this long spiel, after giving this outline of the redemptive work of Christ and how awesome and how powerful that is. And the old has been done away with and we have the new now and the old, the old man's dead. We've been crucified with Christ. And then he comes over here and he has to make the statement, there is therefore now no condemnation. He's not saying, uh, he's not trying uh, to convince you that you're saved. He's trying to get rid of the old thinking that would keep you from acting saved. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are, and he qualifies it, in Christ Jesus. And this is a very popular statement by uh, Paul. If you actually look in in the epistles, you'll see in Christ very often. Over a hundred times you'll see the term in Christ. And this was Paul's way of describing or explaining the new life of the believer, that you're, you're not even seen as yourself anymore. You're seen inside of Jesus. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. That's exciting. I don't know why you're not running right now, but maybe we'll kick in here in a minute. He, and he looks at you. He doesn't see you anymore. He sees Jesus, his son. We are in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Old things passed away. All things become new. Condemnation. Condemnation tries to get you to think old things haven't been passed away and all things haven't become new. Why? Because of the devil, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, the deceiver. He's the one that's doing the condemning. God doesn't condemn. In fact, the word Satan, the word Satan is actually not a name. It's a title. The word Satan is actually not a name. It's a title. It's a description of what somebody does. And the word Satan literally means opponent, adversary. That word Satan, S-A-T-A-N, literally means opponent or adversary. That there's someone that is against you now that you come into the kingdom of God. There's someone that actually opposes you in everything that you're about now. 
And the way that he works, the number one way he works in the life of a believer is through accusations that are not true and condemnation. Bottom line is, is if he can make you think something you're not, he wins. He wins. So the way he works is he tries to get into your mind and condemn you of things that have been passed away according to the word of God. Do we believe that's true? Do we believe 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is true? Old things have passed away. But if the enemy can get you to harp on that and live in the old things, we'll never, it'll never act like all things are new. We'll never walk away from that stuff. And so Paul, once again, just to paint the picture, is giving this clear description, this, this clear outline of what has taken place on the cross. The new life of a believer. And then he makes the statement, there is, therefore, now no condemnation. God doesn't condemn. God never brings up a past to condemn, but to correct. God never brings up a past to condemn, but to correct. God doesn't work in condemnation. He works in conviction. He doesn't work in condemnation. He doesn't work in making you feel terrible and beat down and and, and horrible about what you've done. He works in conviction that gets you to walk away and move forward away from what we have done into all things new. Now, let me explain the difference to you in condemnation and conviction. Condemnation brings you down to make me look better. Condemnation is identifying what you did so I can look better than you. Conviction is bringing up what you did to raise you up out of it. It's to change you, not me. Condemnation is done for selfish benefit. Conviction is done for the interest of the one who's been hurt. There's a difference there. And the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit operates in conviction not condemnation. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin so you turn away from it and walk away and move on. I'm talking about the thing that the enemy is still using today and still tripping up believers in. Believers who have full-on rights and privileges, benefits in the kingdom of God, but we're not living in because of condemnation, because of what we have done. And when we get stuck there, even though we're here, we'll never live it. We'll never experience the kingdom life. So Paul is saying, once again, there is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk, that word walk is live, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, just for time, it's up here on the, on the, on the television. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says this, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Notice that. My people are destroyed for what they don't know. What you don't know will kill you. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Not for a lack of victory. Not for a lack of Jesus didn't do enough on the cross. Not for a lack of not taking care enough of your needs. 
not for a lack of the devil is just too big and too bad and we can't get for a lack of knowledge, he said. Well, I believe that Romans chapter 8 contains all the knowledge you need to not live in condemnation. And so I want to walk you through it. I found four things here. Four things that I believe will help believers get out of condemnation. Get out of condemnation. Look, this is something that we all come across uh, at any point in time in our lives. And if you and if you don't ever use this on yourself for the rest of your life, good for you, great. If you never fall into condemnation, give it to somebody else. Because there's plenty of believers out there that get trapped in this. First thing I want to look at is Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Talking about of getting free from condemnation. It's not getting free from the devil. You're already free from the devil. You're as free from the devil as you'll ever be free from the devil. You can't get any more free from the devil. I just want to get closer to Jesus. You can't get any closer to Jesus. You're in him. You're in Christ. How much closer do you want to be? We're there. We are the body of Christ. You are his being in the earth today. So I'm not talking about trying to get something off of you. I'm trying to get something out of your mind. That's where the enemy beats people is in their thinking, in their mind. And so right here, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, he says this. For those who live according to the flesh, why do they live according to the flesh? Because they set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. How simple is that? What they think on determines how they live. That's amazing. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. And death doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, cut off from life like you die. It means separation. It means incomplete. And it means ineffective. If something's dead, it's not affecting anything. So he says those that are think carnally minded, carnally minded is, is talking about a fleshly nature. If we just comprehend this stuff and think on this all the time and all the thoughts that are condemning us and, 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 and that uh, come against us and try to attack us, if we think that way, we'll live that way, he says. Carly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, that would be a test that I think we could all pass. Which would you rather have, death or life and peace? That's kind of like Joshua. This I put before you this day, choose life or choose death. And then he even gives you the answer, choose life. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's already spelled out for you. Thinking in line with God's word helps us live in line with God's word. Thinking in line with God's word helps us live in line with God's word. When we talk about the mind all the time here, and the first key that Paul gives us here in Romans 8 to not live a life of condemnation is get your mind right. At some point, you've got to shut it all down and you've just got to get in line with what the Word says and think what, the, what God has already said about that. 
Don't allow the past to define you. Don't allow the world to define you. Don't allow your actions to define you, but allow the word of God to define you and think on those things. Keep those things in front of you. Meditate on the word and you'll begin to live that out. You'll begin to apply that in your life. It's interesting to note that condemnation is an attack in the mind. And so if I'm going to overcome, then I've got to get victory in my mind. Condemnation is in the mind. Condemnation is not in your life. Condemnation isn't in heaven. Condemnation is in your mind. And so if I'm going to overcome condemnation, I've got to defeat it in my mind. And so he says right here, think spiritually minded. Don't quit thinking carnally minded. Quit thinking about all the things you used to do and how you used to live and all the things that just keep coming at you. And you just keep doing this and keep doing this and keep doing this. Get rid of all that condemnation and just start thinking in line with what the word says and let's go. And you'll become that, the Bible says. You become life and peace. So the number one thing that he's, that he's identifying to overcome condemnation is set your mind. Set your mind. Number two, skip on down to verse 14. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Well, we just got, we just got real clear. Sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, this is interesting to me. This, this is how I read the Bible. This is how I pick things apart. This is interesting to me that he compares a spirit of bondage to a spirit of adoption. Not compares, but he uses them to show the opposite. He's showing an opposite here. He says the opposite of a spirit of bondage is, is knowing that you've been brought into the family. That's, that, that's just interesting to me. The, the spirit of bondage that leads to fear. When you're enslaved by something, you operate out of fear. Right? Because you're not living by choice anymore, you're living by force. See, when you live by force, you operate in fear because you don't know what's going to happen if you don't make the right choice. But when you live by choice, there's freedom. There's freedom. And he says here, you did not receive the spirit of bondage or being enslaved that leads to fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption, meaning someone, I mean, that's even better than being born into the family. That means someone went out and handpicked you and said, I want you in my family. So the second thing that Paul reveals here will help us with our condemnation is recognizing that we have been brought into the family of God. If we are led by the Spirit of God, we are the sons of God. And we haven't received the spirit of bondage that leads to fear. We have received the spirit of adoption where we can cry, Abba, Father. There's no condemnation for those that are in the family of God. The enemy cannot touch the children of God. You have to get a picture of that. You are in the family. 
We don't beg God. We don't plead with God. We demand of God because I'm in the family. I'm a child of God. That means I have access, privileges, and rights because I'm in the family. Amen. He continues to go on here in verse 16. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness. What's that mean? The Holy Spirit's always telling you, hey, you're a child. You're a child of God. You're a child. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What's that mean? If it belongs to Jesus, it belongs to me. Come on, guys. If it belongs to him, if the authority is his, the authority is mine. If the healing is his, the healing is mine. If the victory is his, the victory is mine. I am joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I'm in the family. Number one, set your mind. Number two, you're in the family. Guys, you got to get a picture. You're in the family. There's no condemnation for those who are in the family. There's no, there, there's no reason for any child of God to be living under when you should be living above. We're in the family. Let's keep going. I'm going to skip on down to verse 28, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined. These he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. He's talking about the future. He's talking about the future. I cause all things to work for the good of those who love me and called according to my purpose. And those who I've called, I've justified. Those who I've justified, I've glorified. Talking about your future. Number three is knowing that God has planned your future. If you want to talk about getting out of condemnation, knowing that every step in front of you is for God's glory and that he wants to work through you, there's no condemnation. Every step from here on out, he's already qualified you for. If he's called you, he's qualified you. He didn't call you and then said, all right, now show me what you got. He didn't call you and say, all right, let's see if you can take it. He didn't call, he didn't call you and say, hey, I don't know if you qualify. We just want to get you up here and see what we can do. No, he called you. And then those he called, he justified. That means he made right with him. And then those he justified, he glorified. He said, now let's get to, let's get to work. Amen. There's no condemnation in, in that person. There's no condemnation in you when you know, hey, I'm here because God put me here and he's the only one that can take me out. Right? He's the only one that put me and he's the only one that can take me out. Amen. There's no condemnation there. 
Well, what about this? And what about that? Well, what about when you did this? And what about when this happened? Hey, God called me. He qualified me. I'm qualified to continue to move forward. He says he works out everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I've been called according to his purpose. It wasn't even my purpose. I didn't call myself. I didn't put myself here. He called me. So there's no condemnation. I just continue to walk on in the things that God has for me. Amen? If God has called you, he has qualified you. God has changed your status forever. God has changed your status forever. You're qualified, man. You're there. There's nothing you're working for. Now I'm just working out what he's put in me. Now I'm just walking out where he's directing me. I'm taking the steps, but he's the one that's ordained them, the Bible tells me. The steps of a righteous man are ordained before the Lord. Amen. If God has called you, he's qualified. Now, number four, the last one, and it's fitting, because remember, the first verse, first verse is, there is therefore now no condemnation. So we know that Paul he's turning a corner here, and he's saying, after all this that I've explained to you, the enemy's still going to try to show up, and he's going to try to accuse you and condemn you and make you feel like none of that that I just explained is good for you, and you're not good enough for it. But I'm going to tell you here that there's no condemnation. And so he's spelling this out. But look at how he wraps this thing up. Go down to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? What's that mean? Who's going to condemn the ones I chose, the ones that set their mind, the ones that are in the family, the ones that I've already redeemed and given a purpose and qualified? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? See how he's, he, he's still back at verse 1, guys. He's still back there. There is therefore now no condemnation. And he's helping us get out of this thought process that we're not good enough to receive what he just spilled out in 3 3 through 7. Who is he who condemns us? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. It's Jesus that has the right to condemn us, but he doesn't. Instead... He makes intercession for He's praying for you. When's the last time the devil prayed for you? When's the last time the devil saw you blow it and he, he, he got down on his knees and said, Now, God, I'm lifting, this, I'm lifting them up to you because they just blew it again. No. And then the one that has the right to condemn, the one who has the right to pick up the stone and chunk it, says, where are all your condemners? But no, he's up there praying for us. He's making intercession for us, guys. And then Paul goes into this, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Here he goes, verse 38. For I am persuaded, persuaded, convinced. He doesn't say, for I think. He says, for I have an idea. He says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, guys, he starts out saying, there is therefore now no condemnation. And then he wraps it up and he says, and there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. The one who could condemn you doesn't condemn you. He's praying for you. He's lifting you up. He's there to help you. And there's nothing you can do to separate you from that. Number four is the love of Christ. The love of Christ. What's going to help us as believers get past condemnation? What's going to help us as believers be able to get back up after falling down? It says, the Bible says, the righteous man falls down seven times, but he gets back up. And why is that? Because the enemy is coming and beating you down in your mind to condemn you, to deceive you, to accuse you, to make you think you're not something that you are, and to make you think you are something that you're not. But in the end, we set our mind on spiritual things. In the end, we remind ourselves, I'm in the family, and you can't touch family. You don't have access to family. You don't have access to the children of God. And then we remind ourselves that we are walking in the love of Christ. And then we remind ourselves that he's already called us, he's already qualified us, he's already given us a purpose and a future, and there's nothing you can do to get me off of that purpose. Romans chapter 8. In 38 minutes. Romans chapter 8. Guys, this is important. What good is Romans 3? What good is Romans 4? What good is Romans 5? What good is Romans 6? What good is Romans 7 if none of it is good enough for us? But he comes back around in Romans 8 and says, there's no condemnation. All that stuff he did, there's nothing powerful enough to wipe it out. He's redeemed you. He's saved you. He's sanctified you. He's made you new. All things are new. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. When I look at you, I see my son, Jesus. Guys, if we can set our minds, if we can set our minds, guys, if we can remind ourselves that we're in the family, I am a child of God. I was not just born into this thing, I was chosen, picked into this thing. If 
I can remind myself that I've got a purpose that God has for my life, and even though I trip up, even though I fall, even though I fall to the left or to the right, I get back up and I get back onto the purpose that he's planned for me. He's called me and he's qualified me. And guys, if I can remind myself of the love God has for me, for God so loved the world. Didn't say for God so loved Christians. Didn't say for God so loved the ones that would choose Him, uh, the ones that would make it right, the ones that even while we were still sinners, He died for us. The love of God. There is therefore now no condemnation. Father, we thank you tonight. You have supplied victory. You have supplied overcoming, conquering power to us as believers. Father, we're the only ones standing in the way. Not even the devil can stand in the way. But it's the thoughts and the seeds that he plants in us that cause us to not live up to our full potential, cause us to not live up to everything that you have for us. But Father, we thank you tonight that you have placed in your word Everything we need to combat any thought of condemnation. You're not the one that condemns. You correct. You're not the one that condemns. You're the one that identifies where we can grow, where we can change, where we can develop so we can be everything that you called us to be. So right now, we thank you, Father, that every condemning thought, every thing that comes against us that brings up our past, brings up who we were, brings up the old flesh that's been dead and crucified. Father, we cast those those thoughts down. We thank you that we are set free from the past so we can walk into the future you've called us to. Father, we can look on our past and know that you're faithful. We can look at the times that we've fallen and remind ourselves of the times that you've gotten us back up. Father, we continue to move on, drive on in everything that you've called us to be. You have called us to be overcoming conquerors for the kingdom of God. Not beat down, not broken, not uh, 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 feeling like we're not worthy or holy enough. But, Father, you have called us everything that you need us to be. You've qualified us. And, Father, we thank you that we can walk in the promises and blessings that you have for us. We thank you for what your word says. And we put it into application in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.